Hello and welcome to another episode of ACBC's China Path podcast. I'm James Scullin from the Australia China Business Council. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast via the iTunes Store and be sure to leave a review. This week, we speak to Catherine Savazio of Aroma Baby on how to build your brand in China. Catherine is a businesswoman and aromatherapist who has channeled her skills and passion into a unique global brand, one of Australia's pioneering organic skincare companies that has cracked the China market. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here today with Catherine Savazio of Aroma Baby. Thanks a lot for coming in today, Catherine. Thank you. That's my pleasure. Um, so, Catherine, if we could just start off, what is Aroma Baby, and what type of products do you export to China? Sure. So, Aroma Baby was launched in 1994. Um, it's a complete range of very specialised natural products for mother and baby that have been produced in Australia. Um, but I think the really unique thing about Aroma Baby, even today, um, fast forward 23 years, yep. is the fact that we use research as a guide to base our formulations. Okay. Um, and, and I guess then that lends itself to um, working in a professional health environment, which is something that I'm very passionate about. So yeah, basically it's a full suite of mother and baby products, natural and organic ingredients, leaving out a lot of the um, chemicals and synthetics that were present and still are today, okay. um, but certainly were in all the products that we found two decades ago. Um, and making sure that we provide education and information around um, that sector that we're involved in. Okay, great. Well, how long have you been exporting to China? We've been exporting in general for around 18 years, yep. but China sort of popped up as an opportunity around 10 years ago, okay. um, which is pretty much way before anybody knew about you know, <laughs> exporting to China and potential opportunities. Sure. Mm. Um, and what was it like when you first went to market there with um, mother and baby products? Was was it something that you felt you had to educate the Chinese consumer about? Were they um, aware of mother and baby products that you were offering? Uh, absolutely needed to educate them and still do today. Um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in many markets, even including ours, in terms of people thinking they're, they're buying natural and organic when, in fact, they're very small percentages of natural content. Sure. So a lot of what we do does involve education, which is generic and helping to empower not only the buyers but health professionals and midwives and mothers themselves um, around choosing products and understanding label ingredients and things like that. Okay. So education is still a big part of what we do. I think the... The women that we sell to in China um, have an understanding of what our brand stands for and have sought us out, basically. So, um, yes, our market is similar there as it is elsewhere, but a, a lot of education is required. Okay. Um, so I do have some things to ask you about uh, the Chinese consumer, but before we get to that, I understand that um, Aroma Baby was the first Australian baby care product um, to sell for retail in China and potentially the first Australian skincare product available um, for retail in, Ch yeah, in China? Yeah, possibly. I think um, certainly being in the retail sector, and that was the only way really to sell to China 10 years ago, there was no e-commerce or, you know, Tmall, yeah. JD, etc. Um, being on the ground over there and being involved in trade shows, the only products that I did see were either very large multinational from, uh, for example, the US and... 
ours, really, from Australia. There were certainly no other brands in retail stores that I visited. Mm. Um, we were selling to a chain called Watson's Pharmacy, which is a Hong Kong-based um, very large pharmacy chain. Yep. And even in there, there were no Australian products at all. Okay. So it wasn't just confined to the baby category. It, it seemed that there was no Australian products in the consumer goods or in that natural organic space um, at all. Yeah. So, so I think as far as we could see and, and we can ascertain that, yes, it's it's the only brand or the first brand um, that was in that sector. Mm. And so how was that process of getting a product that had little to no awareness in the China market, how did you go about getting that to retail? It must have been a very difficult regulatory journey. Uh, indeed. But I think um, it always comes back to building that really strong base in our home country. Okay. Um, even partnering with people in Hong Kong, we've been selling in Hong Kong um, Mothercare Asia, for example, for more than 15 years. And I believe that the first distributor we had in China sought us out uh, after looking at all the brands of baby care globally for his own soon-to-be-born baby. So his company was involved in biotech, so sort of in that medical area, yep. and choosing a very high-quality uh, natural brand, but also one that had some um, health professional association to it was very important to him as the founder of that company. Okay. And they ended up being our distributor's um, as a byproduct of that, you know, sort of seeking out the product for himself and his personal use. Right. Um, we did then join them at various trade shows and began the process of trying to register products to sell. Okay. And and you're right, it was enormously challenging, um, regulatory heavy, um, organic labelling is a barrier, so those words had to come off where even we're just referring to an organic ingredient. Yeah. So we've learned a lot along the way and um, it's it's been a tough road and it's changing. So it's not as if it's a stable environment where you learn it, you understand it and you do it. Sure. And actually um, the goalposts move all the time. So you're forever yeah. educating yourself or working with partners who, who are specialists in that field yeah. in order to try and navigate these these challenges. Well, the market's essentially live, isn't it? It's, yes. It's just ever evolving. Would you say your distributor was most integral in helping you navigate the China market at the beginning? Um, certainly in the beginning, although I had lots of experience in Asia, mm. um, including oh, probably every Asian market. So Taiwan, South Korea, Hong Kong, Singapore, um, and even some presence in Indonesia, yeah. which is another tricky one. But quite a few of those have their own regulation processes okay. where you need to register and license products. So yeah. it's not as if we had never come up against this before. Okay. Um, however, the, the first China distributor that we did partner with yeah. uh, was certainly instrumental in helping us to navigate you know, this you know, really tricky landscape. And a lot of what happened, I guess... We were providing information, documentation, um, formulation information, but we're, we're not really sure where it was going to lead. We just it, – it's like just putting one step in front of the other right. um, and, and doing one thing at a time and getting through one day at a time um, and the eventual reaching the goal of being able to sell in stores. Okay. So I, I think, yes, they were really helpful and supportive in, in us achieving that goal. And was there anything particularly unique about China that you had to consider after having a lot of experience in Asia? Um, I think 
from my understanding and my experience in this very specialised sector, it's not uh, unlike some of the other Asian markets or even Australia Mm. in that when people think of natural and organic, they often think of aromatic, aesthetically appealing type of product. Yeah. Um, But they don't always consider the efficacy or the safety in, in, um, in terms of the use on infant skin or premature baby skin. Okay. They simply develop a product for the category. Okay. So because we've gone a step further and we've looked at um, a lot of research in terms of formulating and then we develop the formulas and own them, the end user uh, is not that different to what we have here and, and in the other Asian countries, as I mentioned. So for us, not so much um, need was there for really changing what we were doing. Yeah. Certainly the packaging had to be um, lifted up a notch, but not what we supplied. Um, the additional packaging was provided by our Chinese partner and that was individual boxes. Okay. So perhaps in Australia... Uh, an Aussie mum might think that's an absolute waste of money. Right. Um, it's a you know adding to the carbon p- footprint, yep. and it's not eco-friendly because it's a cardboard box that's going to get thrown away. So we would see that as very wasteful. Whereas in China, for example, they see that as enhancing the look and the feel of the product. Um, aesthetically, it needs to be really beautiful and pleasing. We have a premium product, so it's important that it's presented in the way that is expected yep. uh, in the market that we're selling to. So, look, the formulations are fantastic um, and the efficacy is very, very good. Mm. So it was really just about tweaking and working with um, the distributor, tweaking that packaging. I heard recently that when Tim Tam sells in China, it also has to sell in a box and to get that shelf space, you can't do it in like a plastic wrapper like we have in Australia. Things do need to be in box form Mm. to appear on that supermarket shelf. Yeah, it's Um, incredible. So um, thinking about the, the Chinese consumer, you mentioned that um, there was uh, a process of educating the China market into, you know, what your product was and, and how it benefited mothers and babies. H- how did you go about conducting that research? Well, I do a lot of workshops in general and okay. it's really only by default because there was no natural baby care before Aroma Baby. Yeah. Mothers didn't really understand why do I need to pay extra for this? And even buyers in stores didn't really understand why is the margin lower in this brand? Yeah. So we had to do a lot of education as just part of the process. Okay. And it's it allows me, I suppose, to be um, communicating an area that I'm really passionate in. Yeah. And so being able to communicate in a workshop environment in Hong Kong or in China, um, it also allows us to communicate our brand values, um, our points of difference, and perhaps the benefits of choosing natural and organic over conventional sort of mass market synthetic product. Mm. So that's the way we tackled our education. Um, Of course, if you're not an industry pioneer or an expert of 20-odd years, you can't just go and run a workshop. You don't have that credibility and you don't have that integrity. Yeah. It's not really authentic. Yeah. So, And you can get somebody to do it for you, but okay. that's not you. That's right. not the founder and it's not the same experience. Okay. So I think just purely because of the way my business has evolved um, and because of the passion and because of the qualifications and because of the necessity yeah. to become an expert in this area, um, it, it's just lent itself to, to my passing on this education okay. and and that education, even though we're just chipping away slowly and, and you know, painstakingly 
uh, in the markets that we're in and it, it's just providing a really solid base. Mm. So the next phase, there's lots of things that are set up. Um, the brand awareness is in a different space to maybe a new China entrant. Yeah. We're doing different things. We did it a different way. So thinking of organic products, um, there's a lot of non-tariff barriers about doing business with China. Yes. Um, I understand that a lot of skincare companies do need to conduct animal testing to be able to export to China. Um, what type of non-tariff barriers do you experience? Well, I think for all personal care, absolutely, there are uh, animal testing um, challenges. Yeah. Um, for us, call it naivety, but we were told at the time when our products were registered that they weren't tested on animals. Um, oh, okay. All we know now is that they may have been. Okay. Um, but even with the cruelty-free association, there is a cut-off period. So, for example, you can say, well, we haven't tested in the last five years and then you, you can go back on the list. Um, actually, being the first natural baby brand to be on the Choose Cruelty-Free list, yeah. you know, it's very, very important to us. And it's, it's at our core that we don't use any animal ingredients and we yeah. don't test on animals. So that kind of thing is, you know, sort of hits you right where it hurts when you discover, hey, it doesn't, it may not actually fit with your integrity and what do you do about that? Well, we can't actually change anything that happened 10 years ago, okay, right. even though we're not sure. Um, but the fact is that there there is still a situation where products can be taken off retail store shelves and potentially t be tested um, in some way on yep. animals. So um, I, I do write for a, a magazine called The Science of Beauty and I interviewed somebody who's at the forefront of non-animal testing techniques, but that's years away from being available on a commercial level in China. Okay. So even though we're, we're getting there slowly and, and there's certainly a big push for um, alternative means to animal testing, it's still a way off. And I guess, you know, now that these cross-border opportunities and e-commerce um, transactions are possible, mm. there are other ways for people to enter the market without worrying about that. Um, however, okay. if your product is on shelves in China yeah. in some capacity, it is still a risk. Okay. Mm. Um, and what about organic certification? Are yeah. you organically certified in China? No. And, and in fact, that's another... Um, really difficult barrier when you go to the um, expense and and the um, the trouble of or the effort let's say of of using a high percentage of organic ingredients we don't have all organic we have from a few percent up to 100 percent certified organic content okay. and we're very clear about our messaging around that yeah um, it's more about being clear and honest and not greenwashing. So, okay. for example, in a product where we have got 99% certified organic ingredients, we can't actually market that in China. Um, right. But, you know, it, it is organic in that, yeah. in that bottle. And the thing is, what we can do is tell our agents and their trainers, this is what's inside. Yeah. And let's talk about the naturalness of it and the fact that it's all vegetable-derived etc. Okay. So you need to find other ways to market. So if you simply have an organic brand here, yeah. that's not going to cut it in China. Yeah. Because organic certification in China, as I understand, is near impossible. Okay. As if cosmetic um, registration wasn't difficult enough. <laughs> well, do you think organic certification is, is, is that necessary? Like being an um, Australian product selling in China, where Australia does still have this clean and green image... Do you think it's really necessary to have that organic certification or do you think, you know, being that boutique Australian product that has that premium appeal to mm. Chinese consumers? Look, in my experience, if you have a really solid brand history and a really high quality product, yeah. then, and you're in the natural organic space, 
then that's going to be your card. If you are an emerging brand and you are producing products purely to in the hope of exporting to China and they are organic, yeah. then you might need to find some other key points of difference um, because you won't be able to market those in the way that you do here. And having said that, we've got grocery products here and mass market products selling that have organic marketing and references all over them, but they're not certified organic yeah. and, in fact, contain very little organic percentage, if natural, um, yeah. at all. So it's about finding what works for you and ensuring your messaging is congruent with what's happening here. But I think that the the biggest advantage an Australian brand can have is proving themselves outside of China. Okay. And that might be in Hong Kong or it might be here in Australia. I think it's best to do it here, um, but it might be that you're in another export market that you can show that you're um, an established brand elsewhere. How else do you go about building your brand to the Chinese consumer um, with regards to marketing? Um, for us, it's really all about those sorts of things, so workshops and education. And there's a lot of um, other ways now in terms of digital marketing and KOLs and that kind of thing. Yeah. For us, we've never really paid for an influencer. We've, okay. all, we've, we've got you know, some very high-level celebrity clients and very famous people that have used the products and we've got letters from John Travolta's wife and things oh, like right. that. Okay. So we've never paid for any of that. So it's kind of – it loses a bit of its authenticity when you're paying for uh, an influencer whose reach may be not quite uh, what you think it is. Okay. Um, so there are, there are some options now um, in that digital space, but I think brands need to be really careful. For us, we're looking at some digital marketing. Yep. Um, in fact, we, we'd kind of taken um, the accelerator off our growth 10 years ago just to focus on product development and some other things. And we're only really ramping that up in the last 12 months. And the opportunity now compared to what we saw 10 years ago mm. is completely different. Okay. So there are some huge opportunities for brands who have done all their homework and are ready right. um, with with all the brand messaging and the story and the integrity sitting there waiting to go. Do you see there being a difference between um, telling your brand story in China compared to Australia? In Australia, they're not that interested in the brand story mm, right. <laughs> anymore. Um, it, it's a little bit – oh, it's not a little bit. It's a lot cutthroat here. The market is much smaller um, that that pie gets divided into tiny, tiny pieces to split between all the brands that are in a category. So um, it's very cutthroat and um, I think maybe China has more emphasis on your brand story yeah. and values more your brand story. That's certainly true in our case. Yeah. In Australia, um, unless you've got offering huge margins and huge marketing and advertising uh, co-op fees – to buyers, yeah. you you know you're going to find it pretty tricky. Okay, uh, there's only a couple of chains that you can get into here, and if that category is already saturated, there's not a lot of opportunity left. Okay, mm. um, is it important for you to incorporate Australia into your story when you're marketing to China, or do you um, look more just to focus on the benefits of the product? Look, initially we did focus on um, just the product benefits, the efficacy, the work we've done in the professional health sector. Yeah. But in the last year or so, certainly that brand Australia's 
popped up as um, another potential opportunity mm. for some sectors okay. of, of Chinese buyers. Yeah. So that that's more of the digital space, the e-commerce cross-border space. They're looking at um, leveraging off the Australian-made um, aspect of what you're doing. Okay. But until now, we've never had an Australian-made flag or anything like that um, on our packaging or, or our marketing. Okay. Uh, it's really been about, oh, you're a natural organic brand, you've been around for 20 years, wow, you provide education and, oh, you're also made in Australia, that's great. Right, okay. Um, I think now, especially on the back of Chafter, um, there's a lot more awareness of bilateral trade between the two countries. So mm. that is certainly something that we can leverage off as Australian brands, yep. that um, we go under that Australian banner and um, we are seen to be, you know, that, that clean, green um, environment. Did your products experience tariff reductions due to Chafter? We did. Uh, for us, we had, you know, up to 17% and then down to oh, 10 wow. and okay. and then some of them were 7 and, and they're going down to 0. So yeah. even though it could just be a few percent um, tax reduction, yeah. those few percent equates to, you know, it could be a couple of dollars at, at cost or at retail. It, it depends. So it does all count and it all matters because you can either put it back into marketing, you can put it back into margin for your distributors yep. and why not if they're doing a great job and you don't have that market without them. So I think um, it's been a good thing and certainly it's, there's been a benefit for us as, a, as an early entrant in the market mm. where we've been um, you know, paying those tariffs up until right. recently. What about your on-the-ground presence in China? Do you, how often do you travel to China? Do you attend trade shows and things like that? Um, yeah, so I'm in China every month or two. It depends. Yeah. I have been known to do five cities in five days. Well, okay. Um, you know, it can be quite <laughs> challenging, but um, I also find it really exhilarating. I find if you immerse yourself in the culture, it's really wonderful. And, yeah. um, you know, I've learnt so much by things going wrong and it enables me to then share my stories and, you know, support others that then you know, may avoid some of those pitfalls. I'm probably looking at China as, you know, the biggest market that I'll travel to over the next year or so okay. in terms of our export market simply because um, it makes the biggest impact for me personally being on the ground and building relationships and showing my Chinese partners or potential um, buyers or partners yep. that we're serious and we value them um, as a business partner and... They like to see you. They like to know you. Yeah, right. Mm. Um, and what organisations do you like to tap into when you're on the ground in China for assistance? Um, oh, I've been to uh, Trade Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to uh, Austrade offices. I've been to Ostcham. Yeah. Um, Beijing and Shanghai. Yeah. Um, I've attended trade shows. Um, I actually even try and invite um, government delegates to events that I'm going to that okay. might be of interest. So I always try and look at it in a really collaborative way. Right. I'm involved in quite a few things outside of just owning Aroma Baby. I consult for other companies. I'm working on another women's skincare brand for another organisation. Um, a couple of months ago, we had a, an Australian artist friend who opened up a gallery in Beijing. So I invited a couple of guys from the Auscham office there. Okay. And I think it's all about building connections and not just what can you get out of a government office, but is there anything that you can do to add value? Are there mm. any connections that um, you could help by introducing the two of them? Yeah. 
Uh, I also met somebody who owned some hotels at the Export Awards dinner. I think it was in Beijing a year or two ago and connected them with the people that own the gallery. So perhaps if they're looking for some Australian art, then the hotel chain, which is an Australian company, can choose some Australian art. So I think there's a lot to be said for really being um, collaborative and being of service and seeing what you can do. Well, that's a very Chinese mindset as well, isn't it? Like that focus on relationships and uh, collaboration between other people where, you know, win-win relationships will be mutually beneficial. Yes. Um, Soon, Catherine, you're going to uh, take part in the CIBE um, tour of China? So CIBE is the Chinese International Beauty Expo, um, which I attended for the first time last year. It's on in Shanghai every year. I believe it's the oldest established um, beauty show of its kind. And yes, uh, we had a really successful exhibition and we actually came away with two awards. Okay. As I could see, we were the only baby brand from Australia at that time, but I'm sure on the back of that there'll be a lot more <laughs> participants uh, this time around. Yep. So um, those kinds of trade shows offer a lot of opportunity. The ones that are supported by local um, government departments and uh, associations and chambers. So this one in particular has quite a lot of involvement from local parties. So there will be some live streaming. There will be some media opportunities. Okay. Um, the AFL game will be on while we're there. Oh, right. <laughs> so there'll be some opportunities throughout the game. Um, so I think, yeah, if brands are going to look at doing a trade show and exhibit, try and partner with uh, one of the shows that is being supported by local or you know state government mm. in Australia and try and tap into some of the opportunities that are involved with that expo as well because okay. it's it's a pretty tough gig if you're doing it completely on your own. Right, okay, mm. that's good advice. My next trip is actually in April, just a couple of weeks away, and that's the Victorian government's, uh, I believe it's the first ever female delegation uh, trade mission. Oh, right, okay. Mm. Um, and, and so would you mind telling us what that entails? So the April trade mission is actually, I, I believe it's around 15 women who are female entrepreneurs and leaders in their field yeah. who will uh, travel together to Beijing, Shanghai and then to Hong Kong in order to um, investigate more um, about what it takes to be successful on the ground in China. So there will be, again, some networking opportunities, some business matching yeah. and just really under- understanding like female entrepreneurship from uh, a Chinese perspective. Yeah, sure. And mm. so what is the status of female Chinese entrepreneurship? In my sector, as you can imagine, yeah. uh, it, it's fairly female heavy. Um, but even outside of the, the baby and mother category, there are a lot of female entrepreneurs and female CEOs and founders that mm. I've come across. So I think it's um, uh, very supportive of women in business. It's a market that em- embraces um, female entrepreneurship probably more than we do here. Yeah. And it's a really exciting place to do business. I, I always feel very valued and very supported. Um, I've sat around board tables with 10 men um, as the only female participant. Yeah. Um, never felt intimidated. Okay. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's a really interesting um, way to share your story and to be respected for what you've achieved in your business thus far. Mm. And it's I've, I find it really, really interesting and really exciting. Yeah, fantastic. 
Okay, well, it sounds like you're making a great impact in China, Catherine. Um, I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. My thanks to Catherine for sharing her export insights on the podcast. And if you'd like to hear more from Catherine, she'll be participating in a free webinar Thursday, the 29th of March for Retail Global. For all the details on that and more from this episode, visit www.acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts. Until next time, 再见。